I'm glad you've joined us for church today. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Uh, again, thanks to our production team. Thank you, uh, church, for jumping online today. And um, church is not a place, it's a face. And we love seeing and knowing that your face is on the other side of this camera. And uh, God is doing something really special in our church. Uh, there's an expectancy over this year we have not, uh, I've not seen personally for a while. And I'm, I'm excited. Me and Nancy are excited. The team's excited. And God is up to something. Today, we are in our offices, online church. If you're in the Halifax area, you've seen the weather. And whether you're watching this live or later on, we're really glad you've joined us today. So glad you've joined us today. And thanks for connecting. And we always have so many guests uh, in person and online. And maybe you're tuning in right now through YouTube or, or Facebook, and you've never come to church, you've never engaged. Uh, we're really glad you're here today. We're really good. It's not an accident that you tuned in today. And... Um, glad you're with us today for church. We're in a series that we started last week called Tables. Tables. And it's when Jesus pulls up a chair. And it's a series on hospitality. Now, I've never been a part of a church. I've never taught on hospitality before. And as we unpacked last week, sometimes I think we confuse hospitality with entertainment. Uh, that You have to have the perfect house with the perfect atmosphere, the perfect playlist, um, the right hors d'oeuvres grown from your garden that are organic and put together that it could be in a magazine. Uh, and we had this picture of hospitality, but that's not what scripture unpacks. And it's, it's a welcoming of people. It's a love of people. And we are Jesus people here at our church. And I don't know your experience with church and maybe you're, you've never been or maybe you're part of our church. Um, our foundation, our passion um, Really, the battle and the journey, the battle that we fight and the journey that we're on is to be people that live like Jesus, look like Jesus, love like Jesus, follow Jesus. And that's it. That's it. And it's, it's a battle, it's a journey, but it's a joy. And we want to love like Jesus, and we believe Jesus, through his hospitality, changed the world. And um, we're unpacking it in this series. We was reading this week a Canadian study Canadian study showing that eating frequent family meals together. This was a, this has been a value of me and my wife's, and um, even my home growing up, and then we definitely have it in our home with our kids that we eat dinner almost every night together. As curious, do you call it supper or dinner? We had this discussion this week. Supper. I'm hearing supper um, from from the from the gallery. Uh, supper. Do you call it supper or dinner? Is that an East Coast thing? Is that a Miller thing? Is that a what is that? In the chat, I'd love to know. I'm curious. Dinner or supper? We always called it supper. What'd you call it, Nance? Supper. What'd you call it, Matt? I say both. He says both because he's confused. Frank? <laughs> supper? Supper. It's definitely a Halifax thing, but dinner or supper um, shows that if you have frequent family meals together, whether that be dinner, supper, lunch, or breakfast, check this out. Scientific community. I saw the same study, similar one done in Harvard as well. It increases the positivity and self-esteem in kids. Isn't that interesting? Just by gathering around a table as a family and eating together, it increases the positivity and self-esteem in kids. It lowers their chances of disordered eating, alcohol, substance abuse, violent behavior, feelings of depression, or suicide. Notice it doesn't say a home-cooked meal. It doesn't say the most beautiful meal. It doesn't say whether it be takeout or not. It literally says by gathering around a table and having a family meal actually battles depression, suicide, 
addictions. Fascinating. What else does it do? It also reduces their odds of being overweight or obese. And watch this one. It actually benefits and grows their communication skills. Just by gathering around a table, there's something in our DNA um, that we are called to gather in community. Jesus knew this. And as we unpack scripture in this series, I believe we need to either get back to or start something in our community, Nova, but also in our faith journey of valuing the gathering around tables. And we really feel that we've been on a journey as a church and we feel like God is directing us this way. And we believe that the potential, not only in this series, but in this truth, could literally change lives. If a family meal can do that, what can we do in God's presence when we gather together? Uh, we're in a fantastic season as a church uh, this new year. Fantastic season. As was announced earlier, and you'll see it online, there'll be posts probably going up today. It's definitely already links in the Facebook chat. Is that we're doing a Nova family dinner together coming up on February 5th. We've never done this. Where we're going to worship together as a church in service, and then we're going to go eat together and have basically one big table. Uh, in our in in our venue that we rent, and we're going to fill it with food and conversation. It's going to be amazing. But will you sign up for that? Will you check out that link? Will you be a part of that? Uh, it's going to be an amazing time. It's a fantastic season. Also, you'll hear shortly in the next coming weeks of small groups launching again around this theme of tables and gathering community. We're in a great season. If you have your Bible today, uh, can you turn to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start reading in verse one. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Do you know in Luke alone, there's over 50 references to Jesus either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or at a meal. There's something to do with food. Over 50 references. We're going to pick up one of those today. Luke chapter 19. going to start reading in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. If you know anything about Jericho, God is still in the process here of breaking down walls breaking down walls of isolation and segregation. It says, Jesus entered the town of Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Do you know the original uh, word there, language, is it's not clear who was short, if it was Jesus was too short, or if Zacchaeus was too short. It actually, in the original, kind of throws out that whole Sunday school song, if you grew up with Sunday school and theology. We're not sure if it's because Jesus couldn't see him because he was short, or Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. I'll let you debate that yourself. But it says, he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran, Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be the guest in your home today. I love that. Jesus invited himself over. That is just so not politically correct. That's so not socially aware. Jesus had no social cues. He's one of those people. He just invited himself over. Love that right there. Verse 6. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree and took Jesus to his house with, in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Another version says the people murmured and muttered. The people were greatly displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. There's levels of sinning, people. Notorious is probably one of the greatest. Notorious, 
B-I-G sinner. He'd be a big sinner right there. They grumbled. Meanwhile, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Today I want to talk just for a few minutes as we continue this series of uh, tables. When Jesus pulls up a chair on this title, on this thought, um, on this focus today, the table of connection table of connection. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you this morning uh, for church. Thankful for the chance to gather today together. Uh, We're asking Holy Spirit again that you would come and that you would make much of Jesus and little of us. We're praying that you would make much of the love, the passion, the sacrifice, the joy, the heart of Jesus today. God, we're asking today that you would continue to work in our lives. You would encourage us. You would convict us. You would direct us, and you would change us. God, we want to be as a church more like you than we were yesterday. We love you, Jesus. We need you. We're so thankful that you're moving in our cities, in our towns, in our our homes, in our lives. We're so thankful that you are moving. Uh, We're praying that you would enlighten and bring life and truth and power to your word. We pray it would not return empty. In Jesus' name, everybody said. There were prayers prayed in this room this week in the prayer room. We've launched a prayer room in September where the space we're in, which is also our offices, which is also our youth venue, which is also where we do staff meeting. It's also where we do worship practice. It's also where we do a lot of things. It's also a prayer room. And let you know that we have prayer rooms happening on Tuesday nights, ladies' prayers on Tuesday nights, I believe at 730 Men's prayer is 6.30 on Friday mornings, and there are more uh, prayer rooms coming. And if you're a part of our church and you're like, hey, I want to, there should be a prayer time for young adults, or there should be a prayer time for, what about for those working on the front line with nurses and doctors and police and firefighters? All those are coming if you want to start one. And just contact us if you want to lead a prayer room. We can help you with that and set it up. And But we had prayer rooms this week, and we started with men's prayer. And there were prayers prayed in this room And there was a faith in the room early on Friday morning around drastic life change that there'd be uh, salvations and divine encounters in our city this year. And there was a faith in the room. We are believing for drastic life change in our city. We're believing for change. We're We're not just here just trying to have a little church with a nice service and nice people and just have some good music and some good messages. We believe that when Jesus comes into a life, when he, when he pulls out a chair into your life, at the table of your life, radical changes happen. And we're believing for stories of radical Jesus encounters this year. What I just read in Luke chapter 19 is a radical Jesus encounter that happened and is still happening. A couple of things we know about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Um, uh, again, we see here that Zacchaeus wasn't looking to change his life. Sometimes we picture people coming to Jesus at rock bottom. At the end of the rope, they have no money, no people. They have, they have nothing going for them at rock bottom. They reach up for God to save them. Nowhere in here does it say Zacchaeus was at rock bottom of his life. In fact, at best, he was just curious. 
He wasn't the one chasing Jesus, trying to get a hold of him for a healing. He wasn't the one trying to grab his attention for salvation. He wasn't the one trying to get his attention for a miracle for someone else he loved. He was simply curious. It says he climbed a tree and watched from a distance. I can't help but think when I picture that of even social media, some of you, um, you wouldn't say you're at rock bottom and you wouldn't say life is really bad right now, but you're curious enough to tune into this live stream on this Facebook page, on this YouTube, and from the safety of a distance, you're just curious. Zacchaeus was like that. Some of you never comment in the chat, but you watch from afar. Zacchaeus was one of these people where he didn't want to engage with Jesus. He wasn't looking for an attention. He wasn't trying to get to his inner circle. He was just curious about what he had heard about this man. I also think it's interesting in verse 7, it says that all the people, all the people were displeased and grumbling. All the people muttered and complained that Jesus was connecting with this man. It's interesting that Jesus offended everyone. Um, Jesus wasn't the agreeable as we Nova Scotians like to think he was. He wasn't as polite or politically correct. And... uh, Looking at this, you realize that Jesus' goal wasn't approval. That wasn't his goal. It was people. Jesus valued saving over approval. Again, we're Jesus people, and we're not looking to cause fights or, or, or start um, arguments. But Jesus was more valued saving more than he did approval. Uh, I think that's interesting. This, this table talk that Jesus had, this dinner, this union, this connection... This meal was disturbing to people. It was offensive to people. Why? Well, you need to know the context of the profession and who Zacchaeus was. He was a tax collector. And tax collector is not equivalent to the CRA or the IRS. It's not that kind of tax collecting. Tax collectors were actually in the same conversation as sex workers as far as sin. Another passage says, look at Jesus. He's the friend of sinners. He, he dines with tax collectors and prostitutes. And they actually put tax collecting in the same conversation as sex workers. That's what people thought of tax collectors. They sold out their own people. They, they collected money for the occupying Romans that had occupied uh, Israel. And they were there by force. They took over the government, took over the police, took over the armed forces. They were taking money as taxes. They were an occupying force. And tax collectors, their job was to go and collect taxes for the Romans. But what made them even worse is they could add any percentage they wanted to to make money for themselves. So if the tax was 40%, they could charge you 60%. And there's nothing you could say to stop them. And in fact, they had the Roman armies there to back them up if they felt like you weren't paying the taxes. So they charge you 40%. They add another 15, 20% to those taxes. And if you didn't pay, they didn't have gangsters. They didn't have their own violent bodyguards. They simply walk by any garrison of soldiers and say, you need to put that person in jail or torture that person. That's how evil these tax collectors were. They, were, they were hated by the Romans because they were Jewish, and they were hated by the Jewish people because they worked for the Romans. They were outcasts. They made money off the occupying force of their, on their own people. Tax collectors were hated. They were absolutely hated. The other thing you need to know about this that caused people to be offended, why they were so murmuring and muttering with such complaint, is that meals or tables were joining together in deep relationship. 
It was more than just grabbing a, a food at a restaurant where you might see somebody you know or eat with strangers. When you invited someone to your house, when they came into your most private place and you broke bread around a table, it was symbolizing and speaking to deep commitment of union. If there was a separation or a broken unity, meals or tables were the invitation to reconciliation, to forgiveness. To eat with someone was to value that person. You can see the offense. This person, uh, Zacchaeus, who knew he was an outcast, kept from a distance up in a tree, didn't want to offend anybody. They all knew who he was. He was rich, but he was made rich off oppression and abuse. All of a sudden for Jesus, not only to accept an invitation, but to give the invitation, I'm coming to your house with your food. That was bought with occupied money. Talk, it was bought with money that was given off people, hardworking um, parents and, 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 and the elderly. That money that he stole and extorted from them bought the food that Jesus was going to sit down in the house that was paid for with blood money. Jesus sat in. He sat on furniture bought with abusive money that was so offensive that Jesus would align himself, unify, connect, and reconcile with that man. That's why the people were offensive. But see, Jesus valued saving over approval. Kind of reminds me of that typical teen movie, right? We all grew up watching the teenage movies, after school specials, where you'd have that one cool kid that everybody wanted to be around, the jock, the, the head of that team, the football team, basketball team, and, and then somewhere he has a heart change and he sees that, that one outcast at another table that someone's always picking on or people are shunning or people are cursing or avoiding and he walks across the cafeteria. We all know these movies, right? And he just, everybody's like, where are you going? What are you doing? You can't sit with them. And he goes over and takes the, the little geek, the nerd or the outcast or the, the person that no one else wants to be around and brings him into his life and uses his influence to bridge a gap. That essentially is what Jesus is doing here. He's sitting going, no, no, no. This is now the cool table. This is now the table where God's favor is. This is now the place of approval. And I want to use whatever influence I have to bring it to you today to know that you are seen, you are valued, and now... I want to give you my attention. That's what Jesus is doing. He invited himself over. Church, we're on a journey, and I pray you'd even hear it today, that God's trying to break down some walls. Um, it's so easy just to hang with those that look like us, act like us, value what we value, uh, behave as we behave, talk like we talk, stream what we stream, spend on what we spend. It's so easy, but Jesus values saving over approval, saving over comfort. It says this in verse 9. It says that Jesus invited himself over. In verse 9 it says, salvation has come to this home today. We learn that in this passage. It means that there was a soul far from God who was brought back to the table of relationship with Jesus. Sounds like a certain focus of a church I know. Helping those far from God come close to God. Jesus uh, brought salvation to their home. It's interesting. He wasn't waiting for this man to come to his temple, his church, his life, come get him. He was even close enough that he could see Jesus, and Jesus could have thought, well, if he's really interested, he'll push through this crowd like the woman did. He'll, he'll interrupt me like that man did. He'll make sure that he screams out loud enough like the blind man did, if he really is hungry. But Jesus valued saving, and he wanted to bring him back to the table of relationship Here's a thought I had, that hospitality is the road salvation travels on. If our goal is to bring salvation to our city, to our neighbors, to our families, 
Some of us, you know, it's your spouses or your young adult children or your parents or your neighbors or your classmates. If we want to bring salvation, help those far from God come close to God, salvation travels on a road called, called hospitality. We see an example of this even in a couple chapters earlier in Luke chapter 15, in verse 23, about the prodigal son. The prodigal son, you know the story well. This, this young adult left his father. He said, give me my inheritance early. I can't wait for you to die. I want to go live how I want to live. I don't want to live by your rules. I don't want to serve your God. And he took all his inheritance and left and spent it on sinful living, living that displeased his father and displeased his God. And it says he came to his senses. He came back with a repentant heart, down and out broken, it says the first thing his father did was throw a, a party, have a feast, get a big table, bring everyone to it, and sit his son down. It's a picture of hospitality. See, faith doesn't work. This faith journey that we're on, we're not, again, gathered to just come to church. We are on a journey to be like Jesus and to be an impact in our culture. Faith walk, this journey that we're in doesn't work if you look at it through the eyes of a lawyer. It also doesn't work if you look at it through the eyes of accountants. If you look at this faith journey, if you read this scripture or read your neighbors, look at your classmates or look at our city through the eyes of justice, it does not work. If you look at it through the eyes of debts owed versus debt paid like an accountant, it does not work. This only works if you look at it through the eyes of a father. If you look at Zacchaeus through the eyes of a lawyer, you would see his sin. If you look at Zacchaeus through the eyes of an accountant, you would see how much he's stolen. But if you look at him through the eyes of a father, you saw a child far from God. It changes how you view things. And I believe there is law, and I believe there is accounting, but I believe the heart of it has to come back to the father heart of God. The faith walk works when you see it through the eyes of a father. When we look at it through the eyes of law or debt, we miss something. If all we see is rules, we miss something. As a young teenager, I remember being around 12, um, I was at this all-night social at my church and uh, had a whole bunch of friends there and 11, 12-year-olds and all these guys, and we're running around and we're just having fun and we're hopped up on sugar and donuts and and teenage spirit. We are just amped up, man. And those days are gone from me. Come on. I, where are my 9 o'clock uh, home in bed people? Where am I? Once it's dark at 4.30 in the wintertime, you're like, there's no need to leave the house. But back then at 12, man, I had the energy sponsored by uh, sugar and, and, and youthfulness. I remember we had this sleepover at this church, and I had a friend named John. He was this gentle giant, this huge guy. I remember even at 12, he was over six feet and just this big guy. And John is, was an interesting friend. He had an absent father, never knew his father, and a uh, single mother, and he had some brothers. And, and we as kids, there's a whole bunch, we weren't listening to our leaders. Some of you, come on, God needs to bless our youth workers and our youth leaders in our church. They are a special breed. We just bless them right now. Youth happening this Wednesday night. But we just had energy, man, and... We just were just running around. I think it was around 3 or 4 a.m. We would not settle down, man. We were playing dodgeball in the hallways, and they were yelling, go back to bed, go to sleep in the hallway. We're all in sleeping bags, and then we're picking on somebody else, and we're just making noises and just as you do. 
I remember there was this one leader who, who just was really angry and upset, and he just saw it as we're breaking the rules. There's no getting out of your sleeping bag. There's no moving around. There's no lights on. There's no noise. And it's funny, I hadn't thought about this until I read this story again about the eyes of a father. What he did is he found out that John was the ringleader or the biggest target in the room. And in front of everybody, he got John up. And in the hallway, we had this shelf where all these leftover Bibles from church, that if you brought your Bible to church and left it behind, they'd put it on this shelf so that next Sunday you could come find it. And there was this shelf full of Bibles. And he got John in front of everybody to stand in the middle of the hallway in front of the room. And we're all in our sleeping bags. And he got John to put his arms out. And he started putting a Bible on each arm and made him walk up and down the hallway. John was a big guy, and he, was, he took on the challenge. He's like, you're not going to, I can do this all night. And we were laughing and snickering at first, and then this guy put a bigger Bible on each hand. And this kept going, and John was uh, determined but starting to struggle, and then he put more Bibles on his hands as he was walking down this hallway. And eventually, at some point, John couldn't keep his arms up with the weight of these Bibles on each hand, and his arms collapsed. And I'll never forget these Bibles dropping to the ground and the, the brokenness even in John in that moment of even embarrassment. It's funny how that thought came back to me this week. And I often thought about it as a metaphor sometimes for how we live our lives in faith. See, John didn't need a judge. He needed a father. And if you look at our society and our world and our people through the eyes of a judge or a lawyer or an accountant, you always be like, they don't deserve to be here. They're not worth the effort. I don't know if I want to enlarge my table or open my doors of my heart or my life. But when you see it through the eyes of a father, it changes. Our prayers as a church is we'll see our city. We'll see our, our, the people that God brings into our lives through different eyes. I'm so thankful that Jesus saw us through the eyes of a father, the eyes of love, not the eyes of law or the eyes of debt. As Jesus followers, there's a power in the connection of hospitality. It's all through scripture, and I, I do believe we're, we've lost it in our culture. But the, as we even talked last week about statistics, and we can see the breakdown of society and people's even mental and physical health, there is something healing about community. We say words like better together. We say things like we're in this together and we're a family but there's something missing so many times in our programs in our focus and Romans 2 4 watch this the heart of God it's talking about hospitality it says don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you oh he's so patient with me does this mean nothing to you can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin Notice it doesn't say his laws turn you from your sin, nor does he say your accounts receivable, your debt turns you from your sin. It says his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. Jesus lives a truth that we've lost in today's culture is that loving isn't the same as agreeing. I want to park here for a minute because if we're talking about loving our city, loving our neighbors, loving the people God brings into our life and and if you're looking at this, is there law? Yes. Is there a standard? Yes. But Jesus' kindness is what drew you. I don't know what those of you that are following Jesus, what brought you into relationship with him, but I guarantee it has something to do with the love of God, the kindness of God, not the judgment of God. It's his kindness that turns us from our sin. Loving isn't the same as agreeing. We think agreeing equals love. 
in these last five years, in this pandemic, pre, uh, mid, post-pandemic, in this world, we have... We, we, we think agreeing equals loving. I need to let you know that you probably already know this, is that there are people who align and agree with your stances and your views politically, religiously, socially, economically, who would toss you to the side in a moment if you disagreed with them. Right. Loving is not the same as agreeing. We think we have unity because people agree with us. Loving is not the same as agreeing. Agreeing people don't always love you. There are people that agree with you right now on how your stances and your life and your values, but they do not love you. But we also think that loving means that you always agree. There are people who believe differently than you, who have different standards than you, values than you, who care for you deeply. Marriage is an example of this. If you're married watching this, if you're married in this room, you know, odds are, if you've been married more than like three minutes, that you disagree. Me and my wife, we co-pastor this church. And from, from family to church, we disagree. Disagreeing is not disunity. Loving and agreeing are not the same thing, that you can love each other, not always agree. Jesus' love was not tied to agreeing with us. This is where we get mixed up. We think God is love, and we use that to condone every lifestyle, every habit, every action, every choice. We're like, yeah, but when I read God is love, when I hear that, what I know is they're, 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 they're putting equal, that love and agreeing are the same thing. They're interchanging those words. Well, he loves me means he agrees with me. Jesus' love was not tied to his agreeing. We see this even in Scripture when Jesus was baptized this isn't in my notes, but I really want to park here for a second. It says he came out of the water as an adult, and he heard a voice from heaven, and God the Father said, this is my son, who I am well pleased. And in that statement, he both talked about love, and he talked about agreement. He said, this is my son. You could not stop Jesus from being his son. There's nothing Jesus could do or not do to change the fact he was God's son. That is love. But then he said, who I'm well pleased, which speaks to agreeing. God the Father said, because you got baptized, because you're obedient, because you're submissive, I believe um, in the approval of God. He was saying, I love you because you're my son, but I'm pleased because I agree with you. We interchange the word love and agreeing. Jesus' love is not tied to his agreement. As a church, we have to wrestle through that loving and agreeing are not equal. Online, the second you say something or I say something that you don't agree with, all of a sudden people go, they don't love me. It's not the same thing. Loving, nothing helped me more than this than being a parent. Again, looking at the eyes through the eyes of a father or a mother. My children, from the time they were born to currently, there are times I do not agree with them their behavior, their thoughts, their actions. My love has never changed. My loving and agreeing are not linked. Jesus' love and agreement are not the same. God disagrees so much with my choices sometimes. He disagrees so much with our choices, our views, our values, our lives, but he was determined to connect with us because of his love. He did not hold back his love because of his disagreement. Where is that in scripture? Let me show you here in Romans 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
Sinners is separation from God. God does not agree with anything that separates us. But God showed his great love. I love how it says great love, not just love. Great love for us. What that verse is saying is he disagreed with our life, but did not hold him back from showing his love. Loving is not the same as agreeing. Radical hospitality isn't based on common ground, but on seeing someone's value. Radical hospitality isn't based on common ground. Well, we go to the same church, we have the same views on politics, we have the same view on, on faith, we have the same view on where, on private school, public school, home school, we have the same view on where to live and decor and food and, and social status. It isn't based on common ground, but on seeing someone's value. This is the challenge that I am and you have, and together we have to embrace and navigate as Jesus' followers. Again, if the goal is not comfort, but the calling to be like Jesus, that is the battle, that is the focus. Our goal is not to be a large church. Our goal is not to be a cool church. Our goal is not to be good people. Our goal is to be like Jesus. We have to fight for that. You have to lean in. You have to fight your own temptations and comfort and mindset and tradition and sometimes religion to go, I want to be like Jesus because that's where the power is that's where the purpose is, and that's where the pleasure from God is. And we have to navigate that, that radical hospitality is not based on common ground, but it's based on seeing someone's value. And how do you see someone's value? You don't look through the eyes of a lawyer or an accountant, but through the eyes of God the Father. But Mike, I hear some of you saying, and I know you because I, I am you, but what about the rules? Like, what about purity? What about holiness? What about God's design? What about God's plan? What about what the Bible says about do this and don't do this? Doesn't behavior matter? It's a great question. It's a real question. There's this line that's been going through my mind for the last year. And I didn't come up with it, but I heard someone say it. And just, I just love it. And it's, it's echoing in my spirit and my mind. It says, let the gospel do the work. Even today, I had some texts from friends across the province. Hey, Mike, I heard you guys are canceling service today. Man, just, that's tough, eh? When you set up and tear down and so many people are moving places, just believing that even though you're online, it'll be a great day. And I just went back. I said, I'm just reminded today that nowhere in Scripture does it say we build the church. It says he builds the church. We get to inherit the kingdom of God. We get to enjoy the kingdom of God. We get to partner in the kingdom of God. We get to seek the kingdom of God. We don't have to build it. We don't have to build it. You need to know today as a church that we don't have to change people. We don't have to argue for God's law. We don't have to fight for God's purity. We simply have to be hospitable. And when Jesus pulls up a chair to people's lives, the gospel does the work. I've seen it. These last five years of Nova, we've seen it. And I could point to stories and people that came in far from God, relationally, socially, mentally, and the gospel changes people's lives. The table of connection brings changes that rules never can. I'm going to read verse 8 from our story today, talking about real change, radical change. This is what we're believing for in our church this season, is radical change. Lives are radically changed. You walk in, 
to an online service, a small group, a youth service, an in-person service. And when you encounter Jesus pulling up a chair to the table of your life, when you encounter people pulling out a chair for you to sit at our table, that the gospel changes lives. Look at verse 8 of our story. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, if you read that, you would drastically go, that's a drastic change. You would go, man, that's, that's incredible. He gets up in front of everybody and goes, if I've cheated people, and they're like, he has, you know? And like, if I've stolen from me, you know, people are like, he's awful. People are looking in the windows going, I can't believe there's, I can't believe you just said that. He says, if I've cheated anyone, if I've done anything wrong, a radical life change, I'm going to pay it back 400%, four times as much. That means even more if you understood what everybody else in that room understood. Being Jewish people, they had memorized most of the first five books, if not all the first five books of the Old Testament. They would know Leviticus primarily when Zacchaeus said that, if I've wronged anybody, if I've stolen anybody, I want to pay back four times as much. Their mind, having memorized since they were children, the scriptures, their mind would have jumped back to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 5. So as he makes a statement, this man that just hours later was using Roman soldiers to extort money from people, hardworking people, taxing it, making his profit, rolling around in his luxury and, 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 and funding his lifestyle off innocent people's blood, sweat, and tears. The same man, after one dinner with Jesus, stands up and makes this statement. What was he saying? Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 5. This is the law. This is the law for those lawyers. See the eyes of a lawyer. This is the law. This is what God's rules was for every Jewish person. Watch this. We're going to start in verse 4, actually. It says, if you have sinned, this is the Constitution. This is the law book. These are the rules, okay? This is the book of the rules. It says this in verse 4. If you have sinned in any of these ways, you are guilty. I just hear a gavel coming down. You're guilty. You must give back whatever you stole or the money you took by extortion or the security deposit, or the lost property you found. If you stole anything, you have to give it back. Or anything obtained by swearing falsely, lying. Watch this. You must take, make restitution by paying the full price. She took $100, pay back $100. You took $1,000, you pay back $1,000. An additional, also pay, an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. You see that? It says, by law... If you stole anything, if you stole one donkey, I don't know how you pay back 20% of a donkey, 120%. I'm not sure what that means. But if you stole money, if you stole property, whatever you stole, extorted, which is what Zacchaeus was doing, the law to be just, to be corrected, to be in good standing says you have to pay back 120%. We go back into Luke chapter 19. That's not what happens in Zacchaeus' life. Please don't miss this. After having Jesus say, I'm bringing you to my table, I'm pulling up a chair to your life, Zacchaeus stands up in this moment. He declares not a repayment of 120%, but of 400%. Everyone in that room knew the law was 120. He could have said, Zach could have said, you know what? Having a change of heart, feeling very generous. This was a lovely meal. I'm feeling convicted. I like what's going on here. I want to be a part of this tribe, this community. I thank you for coming to my house. I want to keep this relationship going. Here's what we're going to do to make it, to make it fair. 
I'm gonna pay the fine. I'm gonna pay everybody back 100% and then add 20%. That would have been just. And Zacchaeus stands up after encountering the love of God, the hospitality of God, the the favor of God, the the love of of a father, not a lawyer or an accountant. He stands up and goes, listen, the law says 120. You all know it. I'm paying back 400%. One dinner of Jesus caused radical change. What happened in that meal? Hospitality is what happened. It wasn't common ground. It was seeing value in someone's life. Hospitality was the road salvation traveled on. Jesus wasn't preaching. Jesus wasn't listing the rules of right and wrong. He simply was loving, listening, and valuing. And in that hospitality, that dinner, however many hours that took for that dinner to cook it, to make it, to have conversation, looking him in the eye, valuing him, seeing him, speaking to his life, caused radical change for the rest of his life. What happened during that meal? Connection is what happened. The table of connection. There was a change of belief and there was a change of behavior. Notice this, it starts there. It starts there in verse eight. And it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, the Lord. and said, I will give my wealth to the poor, Lord. He calls him Lord. Not teacher, not good man, not my guest, Lord. After one dinner, we all focus on the behavior but what happened in that moment is his, beha- his belief changed. He now realized, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the presence of God. Lord, Lord, I want to change my behavior. Lord, I changed my behavior. What happened? Belief changed and behavior changed because of the belonging of hospitality. That's the power of experiencing God's love. I've felt it. Have you? I love what it says in Song of Solomon. Chapter two, verse four. It says, he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. It's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that turns us from our sin. Church, we're on a journey as a church and we're gonna be, it's more than just a gimmick or a cool creative idea to have dinner together in a couple weeks on February 5th. We're believing in this series that a shift is gonna happen in our culture of a church in our values. It has to become a core belief, a core behavior in our lives that we actually see not the common ground, but the common value in people and let the gospel do the work. I got a picture of a billboard we're going to put up on screen here just for a second. I want to throw that up. Want to go to church on Sunday? It's just a simple design, a little billboard but starting today different places in our city that billboard's going up across our city it's a really simple statement you want to go to church Sunday I'm just curious what conversations that's going to start people drive by on the way to work stuck in traffic maybe sitting on a bus maybe walking by these billboards in our city want to go to church on Sunday I just picture conversations did you see that sign I didn't what was that sign it says you want to go to church Sunday church why would we go to church I don't know. Why, why, why did that catch your attention? I don't know. I've just been thinking about church. See, I don't think people are closed to the gospel. I think they're closed to being isolated away from tables to closed doors. But here's our thought today. It's going to change no one just to show up to a church service. But what if they encounter the church? People that when they walk through our doors, whether it be our church building or through your, your office cubicle or through your classroom 
or whether you walk into a coffee shop or maybe they come to your house, all of a sudden we see them through the eyes of a father. What would happen to our city if people encountered the church that understood that salvation runs on a road of hospitality? I believe for more Zacchaeus stories this year in our church. I am here today because of a neighbor showing radical hospitality to my family when I was a child. You are here today because of the kindness of God that radically impacted your life. It was the goodness of God that took you from sinning into salvation. It was the goodness of God. It's, his, it's obvious how much he loves us by him welcoming us into his life. I'm praying these billboards, simple billboards. It's just, you want to go to church on Sunday? That someone's going to click on that link. Someone's going to Google that. And it's not that they show up to his church. It's not about the lights or the preacher or the sound or the kids' ministry or the goodness of the coffee. But could it be they walk through the doors that they'll experience hospitality of people going, listen, we've saved you a seat. Pull out a chair. More than a yellow guest bag, more than just uh, a program, they'd actually meet people that saw their value. And instead of people leaving the services with their arms out, you can't do this, you can't do that, make sure you don't forget to do this, and pile them up with rules and laws and wait, going, I can't keep this up. People walking in broken and walking out heavy. What would happen if we'd pull out a chair that we've saved you a seat in our lives, not just a service, in our lives, and let the gospel do the work. Tables of connection change the world. And make no mistake, in our goal as we follow Jesus is to change the world. It's not to get a building, but we will have a building. It's not to be in an engaging church that we will engage. It's to be like Jesus and to see our city changed. Would you agree with us, church? Would you ask yourself right now, is my life open to people pulling up a chair to my life? You're like, I got an apartment. I share it with four people. Yeah. Are you open? Am I open opening my home, my life, my time, my schedule to let people pull up a chair in my life and sit down and let them encounter the goodness of God? Hospitality is the road that salvation runs on. One dinner with Jesus radically changed one man's life. And from that life, him repaying his debts. Can you imagine the conversations, him walking up on someone, knocking on their door? Oh no, he's back. We can't afford his tax today. We can't afford, he's gonna, this is the week that we, we shut down the business. This is the week we, we, we can't feed our kids. And he knocks on the door and says, I'm not here to collect, I'm here to give. I've taken this much money over the last few years. Listen, that's too much. No, no, it's not enough. It's not 100%. It's not 200%. Can you imagine? They go, what happened to him? What happened to him? Excuse me. What happened? Did you hear? Go to their neighbors. What happened? You can't tell me that the city wasn't drastically changed by one man who had an encounter with Jesus who pulled out a chair. We must pull out chairs in our lives. Church, I'm believing for radical hospitality. It starts with, would you pray for our city? Would you pray for these billboards? Would you click the form and go, well, I don't know if I'm really into communal eating. I don't know if I want to do a, a bring food. I don't know if I want to sit down. No, no, just what if God wants to do something, change the direction to lead us as a church? 
What if this is the precipice, the, the catalyst to allow more chances for the gospel to do the work? I need it. It's the goodness of God. He pulled out a chair in my life and it's changed everything. He's done it for you. And there's more to be done, amen? Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you for those watching this today. God, we pray for radical hospitality and tables of connection in our life, in our church. God, from our budgets to our schedules to our times to what we talk about, would we value people and the connection moments we have? God, we thank you that we're able to connect even right now through online. God, would we pray for these billboards right now as a church, that they're just a tool, Father God, pointing to a church trying to follow Jesus and be like him. God, would you bring people into our lives right now, even this week at work, in our sport, sporting events, in our recreational times, in our social times, in our church times, in our workplaces. Would you interrupt us with lives and would we see them, not through the eyes of justice or accounting, but through the eyes of love? And God, we may not agree, but we can love. And God, help us love those that we disagree with. God, we pull out a chair. Thank you for pulling out a chair in our life and help us to do the same. Father, help our church grow in our connection, our tables of connection. In Jesus' name. Church, we love you so much. This was a different Sunday than what we were planning, but we feel God's presence. I hope you feel his presence today. Connection, tables of connection. This week, let the gospel do the work. We love you. God bless. Thank you.